You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 486, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Andrew Atkinson is a software engineer who specializes in building high-performance web applications using Postgres and Ruby on Rails. When not at a computer, he's hanging with his family and friends in Minneapolis. And I've brought on a special co-host today because I need a little backup around the topic today. Pat Baer is a software engineer who spent most of his career working on Rails backends. He's had an interest in databases, particularly Postgres, going back to his earliest days as a developer. He lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with his wife and two kids. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Andrew and Pat. Thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Andrew, what is your developer origin story? Thank you for asking. Yes, I was thinking about this. And uh, yeah, I guess it started back in the 90s, really, like making websites in the late 90s. And then a little bit in college, I think I kind of got the bug for learning to write code, really, beyond HTML and stuff and building things and creating things, programs that do interesting things. And carried that through and did a number of computer science types of classes in college. But that's really where I got started. I wasn't able to really start earlier than that. But in college, like learning some of the fundamentals around operating systems and machine language and things like that was interesting, but I always craved this more practical side of things, building applications. And I was attracted more towards web applications with the internet becoming a thing in the late 90s. So I feel like I came out of college and I did get kind of an office space programmer job, very appreciative to have it, but it was kind of great cubicles and enterprise software. And I did that for a few years. I started as an associate software engineer, and then I found Ruby on Rails. This would have been like mid-2000s. And at the time, I was actually trying to build a little bit of a social networking app with some buddies from the same company. And with Ruby on Rails, I immediately was captivated by how much more productive we could be just individually or even just as a small team. So yeah, I really found I enjoyed working with the Ruby language and using the Rails framework to really add a lot more capabilities, build a whole application, that kind of thing. And then now I've had this 15-ish year programming career and I've kind of bounced around between full stack development. I did mobile development at one point in time. But the last few years, I've really been more of a backend engineer. And then I've really been captivated by databases and ways to leverage databases to help build and scale platforms. So yeah, that's kind of a whirlwind tour through 15 to 20 years of my background with programming. Well, that's great. Well, listeners, if you are interested in databases, this is definitely going to be the episode for you. So definitely stay tuned. Pat, what is your developer origin story? So actually, my dad was a programmer. He did COBOL in the 80s. And so he sort of put the bug in me early, I think, starting on like a Commodore 64 and doing basic and those kind of things. And I had an interest through it through high school and originally went to school for that and then kind of took some detours in my career path and wound up doing other things for a while. And then Ultimately, in my mid-20s, kind of came back to programming as something that I thought I wanted to pursue for a job for the rest of my life. And I had gone back to school at that point and got my computer science degree. And of course, at the time, it's a lot of Java and some Python and things. And I hadn't really heard of Rails, didn't know very much about any of that sort of thing. And just happened to land my first job at a company that had used a lot of Java and was sort of transitioning to Ruby on Rails as for their new platform. And just such a breath of fresh air at the time. It was like right at sort of the middle of when Java was going through its very sort of enterprise heavy phase. And Ruby and Rails came out and just took the world by storm. And everyone started paying attention saying, you don't need to have all this ceremony and what you're doing to like build an app that solves real problems. 
So yeah, I just really gravitated to it right off the bat, I think. And especially some of the roots of the language from like functional programming a little bit and Lisp and things were just really interesting to me and like how dynamic it was. As far as databases, I guess that was just sort of the same. I didn't really know, you know, in school, I think it's very like theoretical. They don't teach you a whole lot beyond like the theory of it. You learn like relational theory and it just seems boring and dry and you think, okay, what's the point? But then once you get your first job and you realize that the data is really what makes the company run and that's super important aspect of any business. And it's also challenging because there's just a lot of problems there that can be difficult to solve. So yeah, I think I just sort of naturally gravitated toward that as something as I was interested in and and wanted to learn more about. And as the years went on, I got kind of more back-end roles and data-oriented roles. And the more I worked with it, the more I enjoyed it. And the more I kind of wanted to find out details of how databases work and how these systems operate on that kind of level and just always had an interest in like the lower level aspect of it. Of course, I'm not like contributing to Postgres or anything. That would be great someday if I like have the knowledge to do that. But it's still very interesting to me to understand how the pieces of that work. So Pat and I worked together at TechStust. And at one point we had a pull request open. I believe it was Pat's pull request and it was something around databases. And a developer tried to debate with Pat about the, the database functionality. I want to say the discussion went for quite some time. And in the end, Pat was right. And I remember reading that pull request and being like, holy moly, Pat knows databases. So it was just like a natural inclination to bring him on today. But Andrew is our guest today because he is releasing a new book called High Performance Postgres for Rails. Andrew, tell me all about how this book came to be. Yes, thank you. I was interested in your story too, Pat, and had a lot of overlap with my experience as well, like this interesting challenge about operating the database and the scalability challenges and that kind of thing. And it being so fundamental to really every business I've worked for, the data being one of the most important assets that the business has. So the book, well, the book is really aimed at bringing databases knowledge that application developers might not have or might be interested in picking up, bringing it to them in a way that is practical and accessible and based on a lot of my career experience. And I have worked for several different startup companies that really operate different types of businesses that could be more social media style businesses. Currently, I work for more of a business to business SaaS platform. So I think that gave me somewhat of a breadth of ways to use a database, whether it be high growth or high query frequency or multi-customer sharding or, or dividing up of different instances connected to the application, which we can talk about more. I felt like there was this opportunity there's an interest that application developers might have to gain some of these skills. And then there's kind of a market phenomenon of the database administrator role diminishing somewhat. And it could be for a number of different reasons, but there's still these challenges that businesses face, which are that they have customers they're adding to their platform and their databases are growing and it makes the operations more difficult. So the book is really a more of a Postgres book. I don't think there are a ton of databases books written for application developers. And so I felt like there was an opportunity there. And then I didn't really think there were any written for Ruby on Rails. And actually Ruby on Rails, to its credit, we do have a lot of big companies that use Ruby on Rails, not necessarily with Postgres, but some of the same relational database challenges, such as, of course, Basecamp and GitHub and Shopify, but other companies like Notion, Figma, Freshworks. Some of those companies I know use Postgres. I'm not 100% sure that they use Ruby on Rails, but 
they have written about higher scale Postgres where they might do application level sharding and that sort of thing. So there's kind of a confluence of a number of things, I think, for me too, is Postgres continues to gain popularity. And there are these kind of startups and mid-stage and even large companies that do application level advanced Postgres usage. And that requires that an application developer might know a little bit more beyond the kind of application code that they work with. Like it's a little bit more of an infrastructural type of task. So I thought there would be a great opportunity to bring a lot of operational knowledge into the book and have a lot of exercises and examples around picking up skills. So yeah, that's kind of the book in a nutshell. I'd say it's around 75% Postgres and around 25% Ruby on Rails and Active Record. It sounds awesome. So curious, when did you decide that you were going to write a book? Are you self-publishing? And can you kind of give me an idea of what like the writing process was like for you? Yeah, I think the easiest way is to briefly run through the timeline of what happened. So I worked for a online educational platform a couple of years ago that was part of Microsoft, and they were in a really high growth scaling period. And we had a very small, mostly application developer oriented team. And the team had built a lot of, it was a Ruby on Rails application with Postgres 10 database on AWS. And the team had done a lot of work to scale because their application became immensely popular during the COVID pandemic as an online free educational tool. So the application became hugely popular and usage just exploded. And what happened was a lot of operational challenges emerged and the team did a lot of work even before I joined. And then when I joined, I did a lot of work as well on scaling up the Postgres instance and doing a lot of operational changes to the instance to allow us to meet higher levels of scale. And frankly, I was learning and doing like in a really fast feedback loop on a daily basis for months. And (laughs) I was feeding off of this energy to really learn more about how to do this. And I had this great opportunity to really do it. So there was an opportunity knowing we didn't have a DBA on the team and other application developers were focused elsewhere. And we had all these database operational challenges. So love to dive into some more of the specific things, but there are a lot of common scaling challenges teams face and we were running into a lot of them. So I started working on those and collected everything that we did over several months into a presentation, submitted it as I'd never done a presentation at a databases conference before, but I got this bug, like bug is the wrong word because I don't mean software bug. I mean like an itch or a desire to uh, (laughs) submit a proposal to a, a databases conference and we use Postgres and kind of felt like I'm really enjoying this work. And it felt important and useful. And I wanted to just kind of see where it went. And I submitted this talk to PGConf NYC. And so it was 2021 and it was accepted. And I was very excited. It was my first databases talk that was accepted. And really it was a case study of our experience. And that talk is recorded and it's available if anyone wants to watch it. There's a video and a slide deck for it. And so that was the majority of the story. The rest is actually all kind of downhill from there. So what happened after that was I was contacted by... uh, acquisitions editor from a book publisher. That's not the publisher I ended up going with, but asking me if I had ever considered writing on Postgres, they said that they had seen that I had been blogging about it and that they saw this presentation and it was a topic they were looking to publish in. And I said, I was very flattered and said, yes, I'm very interested. And uh, I went through their publisher's proposal process and I was able to get it accepted. And then as a first time author, I learned that folks will sometimes kind of shop their proposal around. You know, there might be a publisher that's a better fit for what you're looking for. It could be financial or other otherwise. And there's a whole nother story behind this. But in the interest of time, I ended up pitching to pragmatic programmers and met 
fortunate to know a couple of authors that have written there and one author in particular, Brian Hogan, I met with him in that process and he encouraged me to pitch pragmatic programmers. And that was really meaningful to me because I had purchased a lot of Prag books myself and thought of them as kind of the, it's a smaller publisher for anyone that's not familiar with it, although maybe Rails folks on the podcast would be, but I kind of thought of it as the best publisher for Ruby on Rails books. So I was able to go through the proposal process for Prag Prague and get the proposal accepted there. And we signed the agreement in the spring of 2022. And then really I've been writing, it took about nine months to write the first draft of the book. And then I've been kind of editing and rewriting for, feels like forever, but I guess about six months now. And so that's kind of the, the timeline over the last 15 months of what I've been working on with the book. Thanks to Honey Badger, I have all kinds of sources to back what I'm about to say next. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There are so many ways for startups to lose money. Downtime certainly should not be one of them. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That's every single minute that you're down. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy-to-use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which of course helps you stay in business. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That is honeybadger.io. Thanks to Honey Badger for supporting the show. In the end, who is the intended audience? Is this someone who is writing Rails every day? Is this someone who's new to it? They're enhancing their skills. Who is this book written for? I think it could be any of those scenarios you listed. It could be someone who's writing Rails every day and they use the Postgres relational database with their Rails application. And maybe they just use Active Record in a basic way and they want to know what else can I do with this thing? Maybe they're currently experiencing some growing usage and they're wondering... Is our database instance going to fall over? Should we be doing things like read-write splitting? What is partitioning? What is sharding? What is database maintenance? If you have any of those questions, you'll find a lot of content in the book that will be interesting to you. And I tried to arrange it in a sequence that kind of makes sense where you build some administration skills and some data skills that then you use in later chapters as you proceed. I also hope that the book is useful for even for current Postgres users or administrators that want to kind of understand what the application side is. They might want to learn about what is active record. They might know about what an ORM is, but they might see weird query patterns and wonder how those come to be from active record. Or even like infrastructure engineers that provision instances, but they don't have a lot of hands-on experience with application code or with SQL. They'll get a lot of repetition in from the examples and exercises in the book as well. So you mentioned a couple really interesting points there, I think. So first of all, you mentioned the book is largely targeted at application developers, particularly ones using Ruby on Rails. And I think that's really interesting to me because there's this like longstanding <laughs> attitude across some people I've met working in Rails that like Rails programmers don't know anything about databases. They don't really know what they're doing. And Active Record just kind of churns out queries that just make the database fall over. And it's just like a bad framework to use for performance for different reasons. Which, of course, is not, as you mentioned, some large companies are using it. That's definitely not the case. But I think, yeah, the people who don't work with a database as in-depth, there is sort of like a feeling of a little bit that it's black magic and they don't really understand like why things are happening. 
So this seems like really well positioned to speak to those people, because I think the fundamentals are not that complicated if you take the time to learn them, but there's just not like good resources for that. So I guess one question I would have for you about the book is you mentioned that Postgres is on the rise and is sort of growing in popularity in recent years. But why specifically Postgres, other than maybe personal preference, that's the database you choose. But what other reasons did you want to target the book specifically at that? Yeah, would love to answer that question specifically about Active Record as well, or Ruby on Rails too. But thinking about Postgres first, there's definitely personal preference and experience. I have been using it for about 10 years, but most of that time period was more like an application developer that someone could have swapped it out for MySQL behind the scenes and I wouldn't have known, maybe if I'm writing a lot of Active Record. And then maybe in the middle of that period, learning more SQL, doing a little bit of analytical style queries and just even being able to report on some counts of things and share it with other non-programmers on the team and that kind of thing. But those things you can do also on any relational database. I think there is kind of a Postgres advocacy angle on this book. It is something that I'm choosing to really invest in for my career, I guess, and my specialization area. And for me, it's really important that it's open source And there isn't really just one specific company tied to it. It's used by a lot of companies. It has a huge international community around it, both the core contributors. There's all kinds of conferences and events, just like there is for Ruby on Rails. And just like there is a huge international audience for Ruby on Rails content and also a a contributor community. Just like Ruby on Rails, there's great documentation. And it's a little bit challenging to get into, but I think if you... Again, kind of the difference between maybe like the Rails guides documentation and then when you know what to look for, having really good API documentation really helps as a user and an operator. That's an important part of Postgres. There's great cloud support. So whether you self-host it in your infrastructure or you use one of the major cloud providers like AWS, Azure, Google Cloud Platform, you'll have a lot of Postgres capabilities and extensions available to you. And then there's also, excitingly, there's a lot of new Postgres, kind of like Postgres compatible or Postgres fork based startup companies that are offering variations of using Postgres with a lot of built-in functionality where they might have a lot of extensions. So like Supabase, Yugabyte DB as a distributed SQL solution. Some of these things aren't necessarily compatible with Active Record and Ruby on Rails right now, but I think they're kind of acting as a another engine of growth and innovation that feeds back into core Postgres as well. Postgres also, if you don't know, it has an annual release cadence. So they're shipping new versions each year and each version includes new features, of course, but there's also a lot of emphasis on stability, backwards compatibility, and reliability. So kind of like as an engineering project and an open source project, I think it's really one of the world's best up there with Ruby on Rails or Linux, or I don't know, you might want to choose, but I think it's a really amazing ecosystem and something that I've been cold towards. Yeah, definitely. That this, Those sound like reasons that I would largely agree with. I mean, are probably nothing you said that I wouldn't agree with, I guess I should say. So the book is tailored towards Postgres specifically, but also kind of a general guideline of using that in tandem with Rails. So I guess I am curious, if you're not a Postgres user, your company uses something else. You mentioned in the book, it's kind of incrementally building towards some scaling challenges, partitioning, maybe horizontal sharding, different things like that. Do you think most of the information in the book is advice that could be applicable to all relational databases or like what percentage of the book do you think is useful specifically for Postgres and which 
is just like a good general reference for anyone who wants to learn more about databases. I guess it was important to me to write a book that had a lot of concrete examples in it. And that lined up with what the publisher wanted to pragmatic programmers. Their style is that the reader is kind of the hero on a journey and the book is helping them solve their problems that they're facing. And it's aimed at adult learners and professional programmers. So with that all in mind, I didn't really even feel qualified to write a book that was about relational databases in general without a lot of concrete examples. And then I could, of course, track down examples for databases I don't work with. Let's say it's MySQL or MariaDB, and I wanted to see this is how you do a create table statement. This is how you add an index. This is how you create a materialized view or any kind of standards-based SQL. That would be possible, but I didn't really feel as inspired to do that myself, I guess. And then on the application side, a big part of it for me has been being a user of a lot of the multiple databases support that has been added to Ruby on Rails since 6.0. So both in 6.0 and 6.1, and as folks probably know, the current version is 7.0 and 7.1 is releasing sometime soon. Multiple databases support was added. And as I mentioned, there are some engineering blog posts that are, we can link them up in the show notes too, but the folks that are using these capabilities at a high scale to work with multiple Postgres database instances to reach higher levels of scale. So maybe we're not talking about the world's largest software companies like Netflix or Google or something, but for loads and loads of companies, Postgres, it's a scalable database itself on a single instance. But even when you need to move beyond one instance, there's loads of options, particularly with Ruby on Rails. And I've been able to experience some of those and build some of that and put that into practice in production. And I kind of wanted to advocate for that for others too, because like you were saying earlier too, Pat, there's, I think a perception that some of these capabilities are newer in the last number of years and the larger programming community might not know about them or they might know about them, but they haven't really given them a, a real fair shake or a, a deep look. So there are dedicated chapters on, at least on the, the active record side, I'm talking about read and write splitting with multiple instances and replication, and then horizontal sharding, as you were starting to mention, where you might have a scenario where you have a SaaS application and you want to have a customer's isolated data in its own logical database on the same instance. And you can do that with active record without any other gems or anything else. You can have the same schema, and then you can even do application level sharding where you have different schemas and still use active record migrations to evolve those schemas independently. So I think all of those things combined with table partitioning, for example, which we didn't get into, there's also a chapter dedicated to that. I think those things give you loads of options for scaling out as needed. And it's a great platform to work with to accomplish those things. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I think, especially when you're talking about scaling up your database, that's just something that yeah, not a, a lot of people have firsthand experience with that. And I think it's also something, particularly at a lot of smaller companies, you're looking at it, like you mentioned earlier, you're seeing that your database is starting to run in some difficulty, but it's not really clear like where do you go from there. And I think that that's a huge gap in knowledge where there's a great opportunity to have a book like this that's really kind of describing some of those from firsthand experience of being built and using those things in real applications. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code, 
and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. So getting back on the active record side a little bit, I think one thing that we're curious, like you mentioned, Rails 7.0 is out right now, Rails 7.1 is coming. And that there's been a lot of changes over the years, some specific to Postgres and some just general changes to active record that most relational databases support. And what is one feature that active record gives you that you would recommend to any listener to go out and try, you know, right away in their own apps? Yeah, we were chatting about that a bit before the episode and I was thinking about it and I was really trying to choose something that would be accessible to any developer in any Rails application. And that does really narrow down what I might recommend for this to answer this question. But I do think that Active Record helps you manage and evolve your database's design or its structure. But it also is how you, if you're not writing SQL, it's how you write SQL. You do it with Active Record Ruby application code. And that gets turned into SQL queries that are sent to your database instance and they run. So the way I would answer this question is to encourage people to get curious about SQL. And if you're in a version of Rails that's earlier than version 7, you can use a Ruby gem called Marginalia, which what it does is as SQL queries land on your Postgres instance or even other relational databases, it'll add a comment that tells you where it came from in the active record code in the application. So it might have been from a controller or a model or somewhere else. And if you use anywhere where that SQL query would show up, whether it's your logs or maybe if you have query statistics enabled within your database, the great thing about that is now you have a connection point from the SQL query query text back to where it came from in the application. So if, if the query is slow or you have ways that you want to optimize it, you can, it's kind of like a breadcrumb. You can get back to where the query came from. And if you're in Rails 7, Rails 7 actually added that functionality directly. And it's called, what do they call it? Query logs. So there's query logs that do something similar and it's built into Rails. So we'll all have access to that newer versions of Rails. And I wanted to expand on that just a little bit more. If you already are feeling pretty comfortable with the SQL that your active record code generates and you want to go a little deeper and you're not familiar with how Postgres or your other relational database takes that SQL and executes it, that's where you can get into the query execution planner. And there's a lot has been written about the query execution planning. It's a very big topic and broad topic. But with Active Record, if you have an Active Record relation, you can call explain on it, and that will give you some of that query execution planner output. And that works for Postgres and other relational databases as well. And that might be a good jumping off point to say, okay, now I know what the query is. How does Postgres, let's just talk about Postgres. How does it handle that query? Like, does it use an index? Does it get data from table scan? Is there sorting and that kind of thing? So yeah, I'd say like focusing on the query layer as an application developer, using something like marginalia or query log tags or query logs and getting into the query execution planning. Those are great skills to build and are going to be useful for any application that you work on. Yeah, I would totally echo that. 
And I have used Marginalia before at a previous company that I worked at, and it was definitely invaluable in terms of pinpointing some of those problematic queries. So I guess just one more question along the lines of active record is, so I think previously you were mentioning that there was, or maybe before the call, you were mentioning that there was some other features coming in Rails 7.1 that are interesting from active record, new capabilities that are being added. Is there anything in particular that's coming that you would really recommend people take a look at that could change the way that you write SQL or interact with a database from Rails? I do think active record is adding more support for SQL capabilities that because it supports multiple SQL or relational databases, one example would be common table expressions from Postgres. Common table expressions, if you're not familiar with them, or CTEs, sometimes they're also called with queries. They let you take more complicated query and break it into pieces and then give each piece a name. And that's kind of an overly simplistic explanation, but you'd write a bigger query with a CTE. And CTEs actually also check and make sure they are supported in other databases besides Postgres. Active Record in 7.1 is adding direct support for that or native support for that. So I think that's an interesting example where it's more of an advanced querying technique. But if you have awareness of that kind of querying technique, it might actually affect how you write queries. You might combine multiple queries into one and you may find that it's performs just as well and it's easier to maintain and that kind of thing. So yeah, I'd, I'd say that's one example that comes to mind, I guess, would be the CTE support that's coming in 7.1. Okay, so our show notes are going to be very populated listeners, so definitely <laughs> check them out. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show today. Of course, the question that is on everyone's mind, how can listeners follow you and purchase a copy of the book? Thank you. Yes. I'm on the social media, so mostly still using Twitter, X, whatever it's called. And I use a handle called and at key. So A-N-D-A-T-K-I. So I'd love to connect with folks on social media. The book is going to eventually be on the Pragmatic Programmers website. For now, I do have a newsletter at pgrailsbook.com where folks can sign up and learn more about the book. And I'm also sending out batches of extensions and Ruby gems, Postgres extensions and Ruby gems that are featured in the book as kind of a teaser and to keep folks engaged on the list as we're getting closer to the publication date. And then of course, I'm also on GitHub and LinkedIn and that kind of thing. So I'd love to uh, get in touch with you and learn about some of the challenges you're facing with Postgres and Rails. I love that. Pat, as our database guru today, thank you so much for joining on the show and being a co-host with me today. How can listeners follow you? (laughs) Yeah, I don't really do social media very much, I guess, in my GitHub or yeah, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. Other than that, yeah, not too cooked into the world, I guess. <laughs> but, <laughs> that can be found in a database. Yeah, you can uh, <laughs> definitely hit me up through those few things that I do. I definitely, I would be willing to talk about anything related to whatever. <laughs> Love that. Well, Andrew, congratulations on the book launch. That is a huge deal. And thank you so much for coming on the show to chat all about it. And I hope you have a great launch. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, thanks again, Brittany. And nice to meet you, Pat. Nice to meet you too. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.